Welcome to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. We're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. Pastor Bob teaches line by line and verse by verse from the Word of God. Now, let's join this week's Sunday Morning Bible Study, already in progress. If you would please, turn in your Bibles to our first reading this morning, our first part of the study, to Genesis chapter 18, and we will read verses 9 through 14 together. And it is the story of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, even before they had their names changed, this is Abram and Sarai, and it's an amazing little story that gives us an example, an example of hope, an example of hope in prayer, an example of answered prayer, and the fact that God does not let us go without giving us a place to go to. And so if you join me here, and if you're just joining us on, on the Internet, we welcome you to the 10 a.m. service at Whitestone Christian Fellowship in beautiful Finger Lakes, New York. Uh, we're reading this morning in Genesis chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, and we'll be studying the second half of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 20 to 33. But here in Genesis 18, we find Abram and Sarah... Uh, Abraham at this point is called the friend of God. He was lifted up out of, out of the midst of the Chaldean, Chaldean kingdom in a village of Ur over near the Persian Gulf. A true Middle Eastern. And God told him to get up out of his place to leave his family, to leave his father's house and go to a place where he would show Abram where to be. And he did, and this was counted to him for righteousness, as it tells us in the Scriptures. But here in verse 9 of chapter 18, we find that Three men have come to Abram and Sarah's tent. And these men were very special guests. They were angels of the Lord that were sent to Abraham to announce something to him. And so join me with verse 9. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself saying, 
I am waxed old, and shall I have pleasure, my Lord being also old? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of surety have bear a child which am old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Make no mistake. <laughs> God's word is true. Now, it's really interesting that these are three strangers that have come to Abraham's tent. But one is clearly the spokesman. And I liken them to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the one that speaks is the Word of God. The one that created all things in heaven and earth according to Genesis and Colossians, who identif which identifies him as the creator of all things. There is an interesting passage in here that Sarah Sarah went back and she made fresh baked cakes for the men for these three strangers they became special guests in their house and it shows their hospitality which is something that is well and highly regarded in the Middle East even today. Sarah went in and made cakes for these men. Abraham offered them water to wash their feet. And afterwards he went out and he grabbed one of the, one of the animals from his fold and he sacrificed it and dressed it and cooked it and fed them. It was really, really easy to see that both Abraham and Sarah fell into specific roles, sharing specific jobs, letting Sarah do hers and Abraham do his. Now, here's a perfect example of the husband being the head of the family, the, the household, and he was the first that they went to. And he offered them water. And Sarah went in and started baking bread. And Abraham went back out and grabbed some meat for them and cooked it. Each of them, not having to say a word to one another, because they knew their roles within their marriage relationship. And I'm, I'm convinced that every marriage runs on a slightly different set of balances. But these two knew what their roles were, especially when it came to that highly, highly sought-after gift of hospitality. If the two of them are in a tent then it's likely that they were out in the open 
Not necessarily in a city. There weren't too many cities built back then. But both of them knew their roles and both of them worked in harmony with one another and got got the job of hospitality done and complete. As we look at Ephesus chapter 5, beginning at verse Beginning at verse 20 is where we're going to be. We find that Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. This church that is coming out of idolatry, being introduced to the gospel of Jesus, being introduced to a new way of living and a new way of thinking and being challenged in almost every area of their life. From the gods that they worship to their practices in the temple, to their practices around the home and how they treated one another. And when I read these things in Paul's epistles, I notice that there is, there is an aura of correctedness of correction being taught to the people, to the readers, to the churches that are coming out of pagan rituals, idolatry, sinful lifestyles. And it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't surprise us as we have looked through these chapters, uh, these first chapters of Ephesians, that God is beginning to narrow in and zone in on the most important relationship that each of these people has. And he begins to zero in on the marriage relationship. Last week it was the relationship with your brother and sisters in Christ, your fellow believers, and the people that are not yet believers. How you treat others in general. And we ended up last week... And he tells us in verse 18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is in his excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And then where we begin today here is with verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right away he's saying, put on an attitude of thanksgiving for everything that you have, everything around you, for these new attitudes that you're adopting as you cast off the old man and put on the new. And then he starts in verse 21, and he says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Now, I've, I've used this passage with couples in marital counseling f- for many years. And the husbands get all excited because the next verse said, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And they think, yes. She has to be submitted to me. But 
But they missed verse 21. Submitting yourselves unto your unto one another. Submitting yourselves unto one another in the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's the beginning of knowledge. It's to hate sin. And that's where so many husbands went off track. This calls for the couple to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. We watched an example back in Genesis 18, which we just read together, the story of the two of them and how they received strangers and each of them fell into the routine of doing their own best skills. Offering hospitality. Offering to give them food. And a hot meal at that. Each of them easily slipped into those roles. And I'm not talking biscuits. They took upon themselves the fact that they could do this and there was a balance in their marriage. So submitting themselves, submit yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Husbands, if you're not submitted to your wife, your wife and wives, if you're not submitted to your husband, then there's a problem because submission plus submission equals commitment. Now, I'm going to jump ahead. We'll come back to this. I'm going to jump ahead. In verse 30, at the end of the chapter, it says, For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. There are roles that each of us play. Are we submitted unto Christ? Christ is submitted to us, and therein we find a commitment. His commitment to us and Hopefully, our return commitment to Him. He speaks concerning Christ and the church in all of this teaching. And so there's a relationship between our Lord Jesus Christ and all of us. And the church is to bring new life into the body of Christ. Promoting childbearing. Promoting family life. Promoting teaching like they did in the Old Testament. Passing the Scriptures down from father to son to son to son. Now, if there's a commitment, we can understand then 
what Paul says. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Do you submit to the Lord? Then submit to your husband. There's a... uh, there's a, uh, a couple of verses in 1 Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy 2, verses 12 to 15. Timothy ended up being the pastor of the Ephesus church after Paul left and he turned, turned the church over to young Timothy. He said, But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. We know that for some reason they were separated for a moment. Interesting, these these visitors to Abraham and Sarah, they they said to Abraham, where is thy wife? She's in the tent. They weren't together. They weren't together. And I remember... I remember when I first told one of Noreen's aunts and uncles that apparently I was going into ministry. And they were thrilled. He was a pastor in a church. He was a pastor in several churches. He was actually a church planter. And he was excited because he had prayed for all of his brothers and sisters, all 11 of them that they would come to Christ. And a couple of them did. But what he was watching was all of the nieces and nephews finding themselves being drawn into a relationship with the Lord in a committed relationship. So he was so blessed. And now he finds that Noreen and I are entering the ministry. And I remember distinctly Aunt Fran telling us, Whatever you guys do, wherever you go, do it together. Do it together. If you're traveling, go together. If you're ministering, minister together. If you're living at home, live together under the same roof, which is common knowledge to everybody. As a, as a husband and wife, Her words just struck home to me so much because by being together, it keeps sin at the door, outside your home. Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. She was out talking to some snake in the grass, in the tree, who offered her the very fruit that God said was forbidden to them. Notwithstanding, 
she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. You know, there's conditions with this. God's grace is given freely. It's unconditional. His love is unconditional. But if you want to be in his family and receive the blessings, then there are conditions. And that is so important. So husbands and wives, be together. Be together in heart, in faith. Be together in purpose. Be together in love. Wives, in verse 22, and this is easy to do if you're in a position in a relationship based on the love of Christ. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Right away we see the analogy of what our role is with what the role of the church is. The role of the husband and the wife are different, but they're complementary. They mesh. Like gears in a transmission, they mesh when they come together. And that's when real work gets accomplished and there's forward movement. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Now, there's a reason for that. Paul saw it. The Jews saw it. And that's why the husband became the head of the family. That's why it was the men that became the royal priesthood among the Levites. God saw it, and so did his chosen people. There was a weakness when a woman was alone. She was out from under the umbrella of her husband's protection. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is Savior of the body. So the husband then is the head of the house and he's the Savior of the family. And when we think of the Savior, I think of the provision. I think of all the things that husbands traditionally do. And I know not every husband, not every wife, they work on the same balance, but there is the purpose of having the husband as the head of the family. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. These three verses, 22 through 24, give modern-day women a headache. <laughs> the women's movement 
has harmed the church and the teachings of Christ. And I find it really interesting because God chose the husband to be the head of the family, but he blessed the wives so much more by way of the ability to multitask and to be accomplished at a variety of different skills. And I think that's why when God created Eve in the garden, He said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will give him a helpmate. Somebody to help him see the, the whole picture. Because in the garden, when Adam fell asleep and had a rib taken out of him, when Adam was formed, he was a perfect reflection of God in Jesus Christ. But then he fell asleep because God gave him a, a job to do and he did it. And he fell asleep under a tree and something was removed from him. And whatever it was, whether it was an actual rib or the proverbial rib, God made a whole person to be his helpmate out of what was taken out of him. So there is a couple, they are not complete, whole images of God. They're less, individually, they're less than they were when they were all together. And so it's in the marriage relationship that we see the fullness of the reflection of God restored. Meshing together. Bonding together. Unequivocally. Working in the same things. Doing different tasks. But all with the same goal. The goal for Abraham and Sarah in that story in Genesis was hospitality. But they already had the committed relationship between the two of them. And they were already being obedient to God's Word and getting out of town, leaving their father's house and following God's lead to a place that He would show them. Those were all steps in faith. All steps in faith. So these three verses, verses, verses 21 through 23, are deliberately addressing the wives. Beginning with, beginning with verse 25. we see the change in who he's addressing. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Gave himself over completely. Love your wives. Give yourself over completely. That's what Christ did to the church. That's what Christ did for the church. So you do that for your wives.
And why do you have to do that? Why, why does God call us to do that? Verse 26, it says that he might sanctify and cleanse it. Jesus did this to cleanse the church, to sanctify the church by the washing of water, by the word. So husbands, wash your wives with the water of the word. Why is that needful? It's needful because of verse 27. Christ did that for the church so that he might present it to himself, a glorious church. We do that with our wives to present her back to ourselves as a glorious wife fulfilled in all her desires and satisfied with the provision that the husband makes and the decisions that he makes too. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it might be, it should be holy and without blemish. Christ is that sacrifice for us, the church. And it's a humbling thought when a wife sees her husband doing that. It makes her want to respect him for what he's doing. They're already in a committed relationship, but now the respect grows and grows and grows as she submits herself to her husband. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, because the two became one with the marriage vows. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth, even as the Lord does the church. We take care of our own bodies, and if we're one, then we should be taking care of our wives. In every facet that's appropriate and necessary. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord does the church. I assume everybody got up and washed their face today and combed their hair if you have hair. And, you know. <laughs> I see thinning hair among the men in the church. But I see beautiful hairdos in the women. It's amazing. <laughs> No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord does the church. We make sure that we eat three meals a day. We take care of our bodies. Hopefully we exercise to stay in good health. Hopefully we're busy and we're not sitting around with idle hands all day long. And why is that? 
for we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. Are you one together with your wives as the Lord is with the church? There's a reason why the church is called the body of Christ. And it's because we are, we are doing his continued work that he began three years before his death on the cross. Teaching, healing, encouraging, giving people new insight into the scriptures, sharing love, the love of God with the body of Christ, with the body of believers. We are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. One flesh as borne out by the children that they have. But one flesh in mind and heart as well. With the same purpose. Now, as with Abraham and Sarah, they had specific tasks in their relationship. She would bake bread in the kitchen. She would make all kinds of wonderful food. And he would make sure that they had meat and water and anything that they needed to sustain themselves. But it flowed freely because they were both submitted to one another. The two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. See, Christ's commitment to the church and his submission to the church. Submission to the church's need of being cleansed, of being sanctified, and sacrificing himself to do it with the fulfillment of God's word in their lives. It's a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. That's the relationship that we're focused on. That's the relationship that we see bearing out in Sarah and Abraham. Was it perfect? No. Why wasn't it perfect? Because their bodies are flesh. Their spirits have a heart after God, but their bodies are fleshly. Then how do we know that? Well, the story of Abraham continues. He says, well, if, if I'm going to have a child, if I'm going to bear a son, and my wife doesn't seem to be fruitful, I'm going to have relation with her handmaiden, Hagar. Everything I'm doing, I'm supposed to be doing, but it's not having the effect. It's not producing a pregnancy in my wife. So I'm going to have a child of her handmaiden, Hagar. 
an Egyptian woman. That's the weakness of the flesh. That's the doubt when we hear a prophecy. God's going to do that for me? How's that going to work? Abraham was 99 years old at this particular point. It says so in the scriptures back in chapter 18 and 17 of Genesis. And his wife was 90 years old plus. That's well beyond the years, the childbearing years. But God said to them that you and your wife are going to have a child. And she laughed at the prospect. And Hagar's son was born first, and his name was not Isaac. They called him Ishmael. And I'm wondering how displeased the Lord was. But the Lord didn't hold back on his promise if he was at all displeased. He made promises to Abraham that he would father many nations that his seed was, would number as the stars of heaven. And indeed, his offspring do, both the Ishmaelites and the twelve tribes of Israel, as they turned out to be. When Sarah finally became pregnant, Abraham was obedient to name that child the name that God told him to name him. And so he commemorates the child's birth and the naming of the child with that day when the angels appeared at the tent and Sarah laughed. In Hebrew, Isaac, what we call Isaac, it means he laughed. They named Isaac after that moment in the tent when Sarah laughed at the idea that God would give to them a child in their old age. Incredible. It came full circle. It proved to Abraham that God was always going to be faithful to his word if you just wouldn't be so darned impatient. Oh no, I got to get busy and I got to get busy with my wife. Well, that's not working. I got to get busy with her handmaiden then. No. Now, I understand because at this time, Moses hadn't been given the law yet. That was still a ways off. Two generations hence. They were still under the command to be fruitful and multiply. And so that's what they were doing. Abraham was being fruitful and multiplying, but he was doing it he was doing it with his wife's handmaid Hagar. It's an incredible story, 
And it's, it's worth a read to just go through it and watch the relationships develop. Watch the relationships act with one another. And it's actually quite an exciting story. There's drama. There's excitement. There's intrigue. It would be like a best-selling novel because it has all the literary ingredients of a great story. But this is his story. It's Abraham's story. It's the story of Christ. It's God's story being told to us in examples of human flesh and blood. The good and the bad and the ugly are all in the Bible. And it's a marvelous thing to say and to watch the good overcome the evil. And I know we see a lot of evil in this world. But a lot of times it comes from man. You can't be always like Flip Wilson's character, Geraldine. The devil made me do it. Sometimes it's our own impatience that draws us into sin. Our own unwillingness to wait. And yet in Isaiah we read that he who waits on the Lord will renew his strength shall mount up with wings as eagles and fly to the heights. And it's incredible. And I think it's particularly difficult these days in Western culture because everything that we have is so instantaneous. You don't have to go out and cut wood and build a fire and get out the big kettle and warm up the water and all of that stuff. You flip a switch. You turn on the microwave. You turn up the thermostat. Everything you want is right there instantaneously or within five minutes. The Lord tells us to wait upon Him and let Him, let him choreograph the events of our lives let him orchestrate the issues that we have to go through to finally find our life hid in him. It's humbling, but it's exciting. Because when we do it, we see and we feel and we experience the changes in our attitudes and in our hearts inside. And our mind follows. Our rational mind, given the opportunity to analyze and to think things through at a slower pace, we see the fruit of changed lives. But oftentimes, the changes come slowly because humans are so adverse to change. 
but let God change you. Take the long road and complete the task at God's pace. Because when it's done at God's pace, it sinks in and becomes a permanent part of us. A permanent part of us. It's interesting that we're watching something with the vaccines. Vaccines used to be tested for 10 years or 12 years very carefully because they gave us they gave us immunity to diseases but under emergency circumstances a vaccine was provided for the covid virus and within it is something else that became that becomes part of us that actually changes our DNA. It changes our DNA. We are no longer only God's design. If you've taken the shots, you are now God's design plus something else. If we take our time with it, if we take our time with God's changes in our lives, with the challenges that we face, with the faith that we have and we place in Him, we will remain purely His design. And whether you've taken the vaccine or not, that's not up to me. I can't say anything about that. It's, it's a personal decision for everybody. We are coming to a point in time in our days of COVID where we're beginning to see young people dying from stroke, from heart attack, from all kinds of things. We're seeing it in sports figures. We're seeing it in college campuses. We're seeing it in the military. We're seeing it in Hollywood. We're seeing it throughout the entertainment community. people that took the vaccine so that they could travel for their work and for their jobs and for their sports. I'm not going to get political about this. But be true to God. Even if you still have had the vaccine. Be true to God. Trust Him to get you through this whole pandemic 
and trust him to get you through the next pandemic and the one after that and after that if we continue to be here on this earth. Pray. Take care of one another. Husbands and wives together. You that are single, take care of yourself. Be faithful to God. Be faithful to God and He'll get you through. When we think about what we can do to get ourselves into heaven, there's really nothing. There is no work. There are no good works that can afford us entrance into the pearly gates of God's kingdom. It is only faith and belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that gets us there. Even the Jews of old had a system of works. And Jesus tells us through his word that even the blood of sheep and bullocks will not get us into the kingdom of God. Faith alone in the New Testament will get us there. Stay true to the Lord. Let your hope be solely in Him and put your trust in Him for everything. How much is everything? It's all. All your worries, all your concerns, all your doubts, give them all to Him. Give them all to Him. In 1 Peter 5, we find out what that will do. 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves in verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon Him, all your worries, all your fretting, all your doubts, all the second-guessing. Cast all your care upon him. What am I going to eat? Where am I going to sleep? What, what am I going to wear? Where am I going to live? Cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Food, clothing, and shelter, all of the things that we learned in fifth-grade social studies. Those are the things that mankind needs. And in Luke 11, it tells us that if we should seek the Lord and His kingdom first, all these things will be added to us. All of the needs, all of the needs. Every single one of them. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober. Be vigilant. Be alert. 
because your adversary, the, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. He devoured Eve by letting Eve devour an apple. By just planting a question in her mind. It was just a moment of doubt. And then he planted a desire in her mind too that she could be like God. Can you imagine living your life without God? We may have thought that in our youth. That's when we're invincible and immortal. We can't think that anymore. Not as we watch the pandemic progress. Your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith. Put your faith to work. Exercise it. Make it stronger. Build it up. Resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We're all under the same attack. We've all been targeted by Satan. That wily old devil. Same afflictions as that are accomplished in our brethren that are in the world. And then he says, but the God of all grace... All grace, the source of grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, he has called us to live with him in eternity and to live by faith, not by sight. He says, after you have suffered a while, what do you mean, we have to suffer? Well, if we reject the world and live by faith, then we're going to be we're going to be the outsiders. People will reject us because we reject the world. After you've suffered a while, and notice that this is just a while. It's not forever. It's not permanent. It's just a while. It's temporary. After that you have suffered for a bit, he makes us perfect. He establishes us. He strengthens us. And he settles us. Oh, to find ourselves settled in Christ in a loving, committed relationship. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is a story today about Christ and his church and the outworkings of that relationship in the hearts of men and women who get married together. In the, in the center of a committed marriage relationship between men and women, you'll find God. You'll find a holiness in their relationship. You'll You'll see joy on their faces. And you'll 
you'll look at them and maybe wonder in your own heart, what are they on and where can I get some? Because that's what I want for my life. Look to Christ and the church. Analyze the relationship between the two of them. We are the church. He is our God. He is our husbandman. And you'll find what you desire. And God will lead you down a path that gives you all the desires of your heart. The desires that He placed in your heart. God bless you this morning. Heavenly Father, we pray that everyone who hears this message will look to the church and to Jesus and look at their relationship and study it, how God is so faithful to provide for the church. And I don't mean the big bureaucratic churches, the ones that have cities and countries named after them. I mean the church within man's heart with that relationship, that one-on-one relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is that faithful. And He is that thorough. He won't leave a single person behind that He doesn't give them the choice of Himself or the world. I just plead with all our listeners that they make Him the choice and leave the world behind. Have that assurance of eternal glory with Christ and have that hope with you every day. That is an anchor for our souls. Bless our time this week with the people that, with the people that we interact with whose, whose lives crisscross with ours. Lord, let them see you in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. From Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful week. I know this, this, sounds, <laughs> this sounds just awful, but pray for snow. We want to have water during the summer. <laughs> this is the lightest snowfall we've had since 1949. It's over 50. I'm sorry, what? Oh, she's praying for rain. Okay. Rain, no snow. Okay. Pray for precipitation. <laughs> God bless you and have a wonderful week in the Lord. Walk with Him this week. Thank you for listening to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. To access the list of teachings or to check the archives for Pastor Bob's weekly observations column, log on to whitestonecf.com. There you can also check the weekly schedule and any upcoming events. To contact us or to drop a note to Pastor Bob, you can email us at whitestonecf at gmail.com or call us at 585-924-8820. Whitestone Christian Fellowship 
is a non-denominational congregation. Every Sunday, Pastor Bob walks us through the Bible, teaching line upon line and verse by verse. And we're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. And if you're in the area, we invite you to visit us. From upstate New York, Pastor Bob encourages all of us to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. Until next time, remember that Jesus is our victor. Stay close to Him.